You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. Open here, Matthew chapter 27. And as we're leading up towards uh, Easter Sunday, we're going to be looking uh, in these services, just looking at the cross and uh, leading up, of course, to the, uh, to the empty tomb and so thankful for what the Lord has done for us. And so this morning here, let's go ahead and look again at our text in verse number 33. And when they were come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull. You know, when you look at the, uh, the place that they believe is, uh, is Golgotha and you look at the side of this hill, uh, you can see the, uh, the indentations of the eyes and you can see where uh, it, was very, uh, it was very understandable why they would call this place the place of the skull. But Dan, give me a little bit more up here on the platform, if you would, please. And it was a, it was a location that uh, it was very evident that uh, it, it looked like a skull. It looked like death. And, and here when they would have the crucifixions, it would be up on top uh, of that hill called Calvary or Golgotha. And so uh, the Savior has, has been taken, taken there in verse 34. And they gave him vinegar to drink mixed with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him there, uh, crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. Sitting down, they watched him there. I can't imagine what that event was like. I can't imagine what it would have been that would have drawn people to want to watch such a horrific event. What was it in the heart of man? What is it that causes us to want to see something so tragic as somebody losing their life? Several years ago, uh, when uh, Al Qaeda had taken some hostages, and uh, they had they had taken and they had beheaded uh, these individuals, and they they had it live, and they they videoed it, and they put it out on YouTube, and the amount of people that watched that event. I had people in the church that would come and say, hey, have you seen that? I'm like, no, and I'm not going to. Why would I want to watch such a horrific event? What would, what would, what would cause me to want to see the exhibition of evil? And here there were people that were there. And it was not just a few. Hi. There was not just a few that were present. And this morning, I want to speak to you on the subject, characters at the cross. Characters at the cross. You know, as people came to the crucifixion, there were many people. And what motives they had that drew them to the crucifixion, they were different. 
Uh, there were there were people that were there that loved the Savior, and there were people that were there that hated the Savior. There were some that uh, were were a part of the event and the trans, of everything that transpired, and there were others that were just onlookers. They were passive uh, participants in what was going on. And you know, uh, I've learned that in 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 Christianity, we see the exact same thing. There are people that are in a church because they have a sincere uh, desire to serve the Savior, a love for the Savior. There are some that, that come uh, that really are just here because they have to be here. Others will come because uh, they, they want to find problems. Years ago, Mrs. Brown and I were in a church and uh, the pastor was, uh, was one that was very notable. And there were people that that would go to church and they were in the services they were they were newspaper reporters for the local paper and they would they would just look everywhere they looked they were looking for something that was wrong they were trying to find something and they would take things completely out of context out of a message uh, the statement that would be made and and all of a sudden next thing you knew head uh, the uh, headline news front page uh, it was uh, something about the church and uh, the pastor. It was it was just a terrible scenario. Uh, someone, uh, another f- pastor friend of mine, uh, was was in church and uh, was dealing with some uh, church issues. And uh, it was uh, just just a uh, it was a church meeting just to try to address some problems that were going on in the church. And people heard about it that did not love the church, did not weren't a part of the church, and they showed up and they had their cameras hidden. And and they were taking pictures and videos and uh, trying to uh, just spread problems. You know, some people come to church for different reasons. You know, as we look at the cross, there were, I've got 13 different characters that were at the cross. So at 1130, we should be about done. Uh, We're going to look at these different people just briefly that are here and uh, that were characters at the cross. Look back at verse number one, Matthew chapter number 27. Uh, The Bible says, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, uh, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver uh, to the chief priest and elder, saying, I have sinned again, uh, sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the uh, pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged him himself and the chief priest took the silver pieces and said it is not lawful for, for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood and you know when we think about the character here this individual was not at the foot of the cross but he was very uh, rep- he was represented uh, at the crucifixion for sure and i want you to see first of all the malicious that were at the cross there were there were those that uh, were were intending to do harm judas was 
was a betrayer. Judas was malicious. Uh, when you look at that maliciousness, uh, he, was, he was a man who, who had an intent to injure and to hurt. And you think, how could somebody who walked with the Savior for three and a half years sell him? How could, how could one that had heard the very word of God, the very words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how could he not only betray the Savior, how could he reject him? You know, and I'm, I'm afraid that people who, who hear the words of God, not everybody is saved. You know, Judas was not a saved man. It was not that Judas was saved and lost his salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. The Bible talks about that Judas, Satan entered into him. Uh, the spirit of God and the spirit of Satan cannot dwell together. Light and darkness do not go together. If you are a saved individual, uh, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Light and darkness don't go together. Uh, there, there cannot be Satan and God in the same vessel. And here we see that Judas, uh, he, was, he was a malicious individual and he was, he was responsible there. So we see the malicious. I want you to see, secondly, the magistrates, individuals here that were in places of, uh, of leadership. Uh, look at verse number 15. Uh, to verse number 18. It says, Now at that feast of the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they, they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. So here, what do we have? We have Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor, of Judea, uh, he was an individual who was now in the place of a judge. He is in a place of making decisions. He is in a place of power to be able to rule. And what do we find here? We find these magistrates, these individuals who had uh, the authority. Uh, we see how how Pontius Pilate he authorized. Uh, he gave he gave the uh, the power for them to crucify the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. He authorized the crucifixion of the Savior. It was against his better judgment. It was against, he knew that they brought him for uh, the Lord before him for envy. He knew uh, his wife had come to him and he read in the passage here how she said, have nothing to do with that just man. I have suffered many things because of him this night. Uh, she knew, hey, that guy right there, there is something different about him. Don't have anything to do with this case. Don't get sucked into that drama. But what do we find here? The magistrate, uh, this this. Uh, Roman ruler, uh, he, 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 uh, he used his power for evil to keep his own power personally. He did not want to lose it. What happened? They came to him and said, if you're a friend of this man, you're an enemy of Caesar. Oh no. Well, if I am an enemy of Caesar, I will lose my power. Not only will I lose my power, I'll lose my life. 
And, and see, here, uh, it was for fear of the people. It was for fear of Caesar. Uh, this individual, uh, he did not stand for truth. He did not stand for justice. He did not use his office for good, but he used it for evil. So we see the, the, uh, uh, the malicious. We see the uh, magistrates. Uh, we see here the manipulative. Look with me at verse number 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas uh, and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will you that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. You see, here, these manipulative uh, individuals, these religious leaders, they were manipulating situations to try to get their own way. You know what? When somebody is, is trying to promote their own cause, when they have their own agenda, you better watch out. You better stop and back up and ask yourself, what do they have to gain? You know, people... All of us, if we're not careful, we can be manipulative. And that is not a godly trait. It's a divisive trait. It's a selfish trait. You see, these chief priests, these uh, elders, uh, they conspired to, to crucify the Savior. Uh, they were manipulative. Uh, the next group we see, fourthly, the multitude. Verse 23, and the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. And then answered all the people and said, his blood be upon us and our children. And they re, uh, then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. You see, there was a multitude. Now the individuals, a tumult was made. A riot was raised up. Individuals got sucked into this drama. And now all of a sudden, Pilate, the one who had the authority, now he is saying, listen, I am innocent of this just man. I'm going to wash my hands. And let me tell you something. You and I cannot wash our hands of what we do with Jesus. You will accept him or you will reject him. You will be for him or you will be against him. But we cannot back up and say, I, I am innocent of this situation. We have to stand for the Lord. Amen. And this multitude did not do so. Uh, though Pilate tried to separate himself, he was unable to. He will not stand before God saying, I'm innocent. No, he will not have that opportunity. Why? Because he did not stand for truth. You see, uh, th this uh, multitude, they were led by self-serving individuals. They were led by people who had an agenda that was wrong. They were unaware. Many of them, I'm sure, were unaware of really what was at stake here. Yet they got sucked into this multitude. People were there, but they had had no idea what really was at stake. You know, I wonder how many people sit in the services of church week in and week out, not saved, not 
recognizing their need for a Savior. You know, there's a multitude of people. There was a pastor of a church down south, very well-known pastor, one of the mega churches. And Barna did a, a survey of the people coming out of the services. And they were asking about a personal testimony of salvation. And here we're talking about on a Sunday morning that people are coming out of church. And with that, uh, it was a huge percent. I don't remember the number of people that came out and said, no, I am not saved or I have not accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior or I have no personal testimony of salvation. And, and they could not answer the, 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 uh, a survey on salvation. And they, they took this survey to the pastor. And the pastor said, I know that I I probably have 10,000 people of service that are lost sitting in my church, but I'm okay with that as long as they come. Let me tell you something. There's something wrong with that. You see, just because there's a multitude doesn't make it right. And here we see that uh, these individuals, they were part of a multitude. They may, everything may have looked good. It may have appeared that they were on the right side. But if a person uh, is not on the Lord's side, they are on the wrong side. And these individuals, the multitude that was there, we see that the military was there. Look at verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him a whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him him a scarlet robe and when they had plaited a crown of thorns and put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand then and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying hail king of the Jews and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head and after that they had mocked him they took the robe from off him and put on his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him uh, here who was this this was the governor this was was the governor's soldiers. These were the elite. And, and what do they do? They take the Lord and they leave the presence of the governor. And then he takes them to another group uh, of the soldiers that were there. And he delivered, uh, they were delivered. Uh, they delivered Jesus, it says, to the whole band. So now we have the elite going to the rest of the crowd. And we find here that uh, they, uh, the whole band of soldiers now, they strip the Savior. Uh, they they put on the scarlet. Uh, they, they spit upon him. You look at all of the events, the scourging. All of this takes place by individuals that had their authority to protect people. And now they're abusing it. What a travesty. What a travesty. You know, we... We hear about different events and we hear about maybe the police brutality and we hear about military who, who have acted on their own and, and are there injustices? Absolutely. And, and, and there are circumstances that arise that we don't always see the whole picture. But what we do know is in this situation, these people were given authority and power over individuals to protect and they used it against the community. They used it against 
the Savior. And so here, the, this uh, military, these individuals, they use their power uh, for their own desires. Uh, we see next, the mobilized. Uh, we see a man, uh, verse number 32, and as they came out, they found, found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Uh, so now the Savior is carrying his cross uh, from the judgment hall to the place of scourging, now up to Golgotha. And, and as he is going, uh, there was an individual that was there, a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene. Now, if Graphically, uh, if you were to look at a map, what you would see is that the Mediterranean Sea comes across from east to west. And, and on the east side, it would have been uh, along the midpoint would be Judea. And that is on the land right there to the east of, uh, of the Mediterranean Sea. If you go down south along the Mediterranean Sea and head westward, you'll come right down. And at that bend, you're going to have Egypt. And then you are going to have Libya. Libya is where this man just came from. Uh, it, was, it was a community, it was a, a town uh, of Cyrene, and, and this individual uh, was there at such a time, and now he had... He had been compelled. He had been mobilized. Uh, he was asked to do a job. I wonder if it was a job he wanted to do. I wonder if it was a demeaning job. I wonder if it was a demeaning request, but I wonder how he took that opportunity. You know, I wonder if this man of Cyrene, Simon, if he recognized who this Jesus was. I wonder if compassionately he took that cross and carried it. I wonder if it was done out of just being compelled or if it was done out of care and compassion. Maybe it was done out of concern. Maybe it was done out of uh, a, an opportunity to show some commitment to the Savior. You know, things that we do for the Savior are not always enjoyable. And here this man, he had an opportunity was it, a, it was an opportunity to stand up on a, a worldwide stage and, and, and be able to talk to millions of people? No, but he has been on the worldwide stage for thousands of years. His, of his service for the Savior has been spoken of. Millions upon millions have heard the name of Simon of Cyrene because of a service that he did for the Savior. This man was engaged in helping the Savior in a great time of need. Uh, he might not have been able to do much to change the situation, but he was able to do something in the situation. Uh, as I said in the message recently, he did what he could. He did what he could. Uh, he was mobilized to help in a great time of need. Uh, and uh, what do we find? Uh, another group of people, we find the morbid that were there. 
There were so many different people. You think about this, verse 33, it says, and when they were come unto God, uh, and that when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that they might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them and upon my vesture did they cast lots and sitting down, they watched him there. Sitting down, they watched him there. I sort of imagine in the 1800s when here in the, the West, Midwest, they would have hangings. It was a public event. People would come from miles to watch this, this event. They would pack their lunches. It was, it was a big ordeal. It was not just the execution of justice. It turned into a sideshow. I think about in England when they would have the guillotine. France. And you look at history and you see how the mobs of people would come. The morbid. To watch events that are so hurtful. But sitting down, they watched him there. We see not only the morbid, we see the mockers. Verse 37, and set up over his head his accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And when the two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. And saying, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he, he saved others himself. He cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now uh, come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God, the mockers, the people that just mocked the Savior. What a sad case. Here, love incarnate is right before him. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The Lord who went about doing good as was his epitaph. And now the people come and they mock. They just mock. I wonder what the, the Lord was thinking. He left heaven for this group of people. Not just the whole world, these individuals that were engaged, some were involved in the piercing of his hand, the beating of his back, the ripping out of the beard. These individuals that were there, they were mocking him and here he was 
doing everything he did for them. You know, we've got a wonderful Savior. You know, somebody mistreats me, I just want to punch them. But here the Savior's response is love. His response was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His response was not a natural response. It was a spiritual response. And here they mocked him. Uh, We see the mockers. I want you to see the miserable that were there. Uh, Verse 44, the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Uh, Mark chapter 15 and verse 32, let Christ, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. So here we have the the two thieves that were there. Uh, These individuals who were there because of their own deeds uh, now are reviling the Savior. Uh, They are uh, the individuals who are guilty, are are lining up with the the mockers there uh, in the the event. Now, somewhere along the line, we know that one of them changed. Somewhere along the line, one of them went from reviling to receive him. Uh, Luke chapter 23 and verse 39, the Bible says, And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know, we have the miserable, the ones that were guilty. Praise the Lord, one of them received. I think about the mother who was standing at the the foot of the cross. John 19, 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. I can't imagine the turmoil that a mom would have. I can't imagine the turmoil that a parent would endure watching their, their child maligned and mistreated, crucified. But there she was, right at the foot of Jesus, the mother. You know, something special about that bond between a mother and their child. And here we see that Mary, the mother of Jesus, stood there You read on and it says, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. Uh, We not only see Mary, the mother of Jesus, we see the other Marys. 
there were some other ladies uh, that were there as well. Matthew 27, 55 and 56. And many women uh, were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, uh, among which were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. Uh, we just find that there are many ladies that were there. Uh, the other missuses and misses, misses and Ms. Uh, all of these different ladies, these women that were there. And you know what we see? We see that there were many women, but few men. You know, men, we've got a responsibility to stay when things get tough. So many men are not faithful to the end. I'm so thankful for the men that we have in our church. Thankful for our ladies. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, minimizing that at all. But I'm thankful that our church is not just filled with ladies. We do have men. And you know, as we look at the cross... And we look here, these ladies, they were there. They were, they were faithful. They were there with uh, all of the events. Uh, they were willing to be named among those. They were willing to be in a crowd representing Christ at his crucifixion when the disciples all fled. You look just at back at the garden the previous night. What do we find? We find all the disciples, the apostles, they're all fleeing. We see these ladies that were there. We see the mother. We see the Marys. Twelfthly, we see the men. Now we know that there were some men there. We know that there was, when Jesus said, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. The woman, the man whom Jesus loved, we believe that that was John who was there, but unnamed. We're, we are unsure who it was. Some believe that it was Lazarus. Some, some, uh, there, there's just, just a lot of different speculations there, but what we do know of the one that was named we see it in verse number 57. And when the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. And he went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in his own tomb, which had hewn out of, in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. We read here of Joseph of Arimathea. He was there at least to take down the body of the Savior. He was there at the cross. A man who was able to do some things that many were unable to do. He was now able to be able to put the Savior in a tomb. We'll find also that Nicodemus shows up. But we see these men that were named. But then I want you to see lastly the memorable. Verse number 50. 
And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints uh, which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And now when the centurion, uh, when they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly saying, this truly was the son of God. You know how tragic it would be to be in that place where the Savior was at that moment and experience everything that took place and do nothing about it. But what we do find is the centurion here, he says, truly, this was the Son of God. You know, we look at this man and we see that whether or not it was just an academic statement or whether or not it was a decision of faith, we will not know until we get to heaven. But this was, this was an event. You know what? When you come to realize that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world, that's a memorable event. April 23rd, 1983. That's a memorable event for me. Everything changed. And here, what do we find? We find a man who is there. He is a part of everything that's going on. He's watching. And now, as everything completely unfolds, he ends up opening up his mouth. And he utters the words recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. You know, if you're here this morning and you know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus, let me encourage you to put your faith in him. Whether you're sitting here in person or whether you're watching online, uh, we need to not only just have an academic understanding of what the Bible says, we need to have a, a time when there was a decision in our own life where we receive the Savior, the Messiah. He is the Son of God, the Christ, the Son of God. He is the one that came to this earth to die, to pay for the sins of man so you and I could have life eternal. And he freely offers a gift. He won't twist our arm to make us receive it. He's not going to come down and beg you to trust him. But he has given each of us that wonderful opportunity to receive the Savior. You know, when you think about the day, if you're saved this morning, how often do you think about it? How often do you thank the Lord for your salvation? How often do you stop and think, Lord, all of the things that it took, not only for you to purchase my salvation, but all of the things that you had to do to weave and orchestrate my life to bring me to a place where I would even, even hear the gospel, where I would even receive the gospel, all the things that God had to do to bring salvation. If you were raised in a Christian home and you have been uh, raised in an environment that uh, 
You just heard it growing up. Let me tell you something. God still had to orchestrate a whole lot uh, for generations previous for you ever even to have uh, the opportunity to be born into a family of those that were saved. God is an amazing God. And you know, the day that you got saved ought to be a memorable day. If you don't have that memory, how about you make today that memory? How would you make today that day where you put your faith in him? Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. Thank you for being such a wonderful Savior. Thank you for all that you have done to purchase uh, this wonderful gift of salvation. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, not to take it for granted. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to just uh, to know that we're saved, but Lord, help us to have a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for all that you've done. But Lord, as we... Stop and just take a moment. If there's one here today that does not know you, may they put themselves in the midst of that crowd. May they in their own mind visualize you hanging on that cross. And I pray God that they will come to that same understanding that truly this is the Son of God. So work now in this invitation, please. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed. The instruments are going to play. Are you saved this morning? Say, Pastor, I'm saved. I know it. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Pastor, I'm saved this morning. Just as a testimony to the Lord, just slip your hand up. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can put your hand down. If you're not saved this morning, you're unsure of your eternal destiny. Let me encourage you. Trust him today. Don't just be one that wonders. He said, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that ye have eternal life. God wants us to know. If you don't have that confidence, if you don't have that assurance, let me encourage you. Trust him today. Say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Pray for me. Just slip your hand up. I'm unsure of my eternal destiny. I'm concerned about it. Uh, I'd like to know. I wish I had that confidence. Nobody's looking around, but you say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me this morning. Pray for me. Just slip your hand up. I'll pray for you. I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you. The pastors are down front. If you'd like to come and have someone share the, the way of salvation, you come. You come. You're watching online. You're unsure of your eternal destiny. Uh, there's a number on your screen. Let me encourage you. Uh, text that number. And, and as you text that number, just text heaven to that number. We'll get back with you. We'll take the Bible and try to answer any questions. Not what a pastor or a priest or some man has to say, but what does God say about you going to heaven? Maybe as we looked at these different characters that were at the cross, maybe your, your assessment of yourself didn't line up where you wished it would have. Maybe you weren't with Mary, the mother of Jesus and those other ladies. 
Maybe you were not among those, those men that were there that were at the cross. You say, Pastor, I want to be there. Maybe you need to make some changes. What crowd are we in? What character would we have been? What would that dialogue be if another thousand years pass and they're looking back? What group would we have been in? Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.